Charter Road Church this summer, we are in training. We are in training. Summer is a good time to train for things. Theoretically, I don't necessarily, but I know a lot of you are training to to run or you're hitting the gym. Summer's a really good time to do things like that. Not to be corny, but at Charter Oak Church, we are training ourselves in Scripture. We are training ourselves to read God's Word every day, to study God's Word together. And we're using the New Testament book of 1 John as our training manual. We are memorizing, we are memorizing the first chapter of 1 John. There's not going to be a test on that, but I, I, I want to just trust you as you are trusting me to practice memorizing scripture as we memorize the first chapter of 1 John. Now, we've been doing this for four weeks, and if you've been with us, you've had four weeks. How are you doing with that? How are you doing memorizing scripture? The first verse, let's go back to the first verse of the book of 1 John. If you know it, you can say this with me. If you don't know it, no worries. But I'm going to say the first verse just to help train myself, making sure that that I have actually memorized this. So it starts like this. Let me help you out. We don't have the screen even to help us out. That's a good thing because we have it memorized. Verse 1 starts like this. That which was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, heard, which we have seen, which we have looked at, which we have touched with our hands, this we proclaim about the word of life. And yes, we are memorizing scripture. And if you are new with us today, you might think, well, man, these guys are very serious about the Bible. Yes, we are very serious about the Bible. Amen to that. We, we are. And when it comes to memorizing scripture, you might think, well, that's not something I can do. Of course it's something you can do. Do you know how many things you have memorized in your mind? Millions of things that you can just instantly recall. And I'll prove it to you. Help me out with you. Star, I, Tracy Shane just yelled out Star Wars. I have most of episode four memorized. I can memorize scripture. A lot of you do too. You can memorize scripture. How about this? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Like a good neighbor. You can memorize scripture. Come on. If, if I were, oh, let's say a part of a, a rebel alliance, and I was going to get into my X-Wing to go blow up the Death Star, what would you tell me? May the... You can memorize Scripture. You and I can memorize Scripture. Yes, we are very serious about the Bible. We take God's Word with the utmost seriousness. Do you know why? Because we haven't, traditionally. At least in recent memory, the Christian church, at least in America, has not really taken God's word all that seriously. And do you know how dangerous that is? I want to go out on a limb and say the greatest danger for us in America is not persecution by the world. That's not our greatest threat. The greatest threat for the American church is not persecution by the world It's being seduced by the world. 
not being repelled by the world, but being attracted by the world. In fact, Pastor Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, I believe one reason why the church of God at this present moment has seen so little influence over the world is because the world has seen so much influence over the church. Hey, if you're a Christian today, and if you're not a Christian, we are so glad you are here. But if you are a Christian today, you probably have an understanding that our lifestyle doesn't look a whole lot different than the lifestyle of the rest of the world. Do you sense that? We are just as worldly. We are just as self-centered. We are just as prone to division through politics as the rest of the world is. Our spending habits, church. God wants to direct our spending habits. Our spending habits look exactly like the rest of the world. Maybe you have an understanding that God asks His people who put their trust in Him to give the church 10% of their income. It's called a tithe. It's God's desire that 100% of disciples of Jesus Christ tithe. Do you know what percentage of American Christians tithe? 6%. 50, 50% of American Christians don't give anything to the work of God. We look just like the rest of the world. The divorce rate among Christians, you probably know, is exactly the same as the rest of the world. The rate at which we consume pornography is exactly the same as non-Christians. We have relationships outside of marriage both for singles and for already married people at the same rate as the rest of the world does. Hey, Christian parents, we have a lot of Christian parents out there today. We hold worldly values up as Christian parents over and above godly values. We just do. The activities we participate in reflect our worldliness much more than our godliness. And I'm not talking ill of sports or secular activities. Those things are very, very good. I'm not talking about what we are getting. I'm talking about what our kids are missing. Christian parents, do you know what percentage of our kids walk away from their faith when they go to college? 70%. Right now that statistic is about 70% of our kids are going to walk away from their faith when they get to college. Why? Because their faith was never theirs. They sure can play baseball really good. But they're walking away from their faith because their faith wasn't theirs. I'm not talking ill about sports or secular activities. I'm talking about holding up godly values even more so than we hold up the values of the world. If you put a Christian and a non-Christian right beside each other, friends, and you observe them for a week or a month or a year, it would be very difficult to tell the difference. And friends, something has got to change. Something has got to change. And the really good news for us is that a man named John wrote about this exact same subject 2,000 years ago because they were dealing with the same thing 2,000 years ago. We're going to go through it today. Buckle up. Today we are in chapter 2 of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, I really encourage you to follow along with me. By the way, if you're new with us or you don't have a Bible, we've got you. We have Bibles here on our connect table. We have Bibles on our prayer station. It's not a library. Those are for you to take, to write in. 
please feel free to do that anytime you would like. But today we're in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Here we go. John writes, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, Jesus. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And because the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. They pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. This was written 2,000 years ago. What John is writing about is that the church should look different than the rest of the world. We, the people of God, should look different than those who are not yet of God. Our purity looks different. Our parenting, our schedules, our spending. Not just for the sake of being different, but because the love of God dwells in us. That makes us different. Let's dig into it. Verse 12, John writes this, I'm writing to you, dear children, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now again, this summer, I'm encouraging you to take notes in your Bible, write in your Bible. And if you are, in this verse 12, you can, cite, you can circle the, the words, dear children, and sins have been forgiven. Dear children, and sins have been forgiven, and link the two, because the two are very much linked. John is not writing to children here, or not specifically to children. What John is saying is that everyone he is writing to is a child, because he is writing to believers in Jesus. Everyone who has their faith in Jesus Christ is a child of God. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you have been adopted as a son or a daughter of God. So that's why John writes, Dear children. Verse 13 says this. And by the way, if it starts to sprinkle, you guys can do whatever you want. We still have a little bit of room inside tents. You guys are welcome to come under the tents. Or you're welcome to just kind of wait it out because it said it was a 0% chance of rain this morning. <laughs> that's okay. We're not going to let a little bit of rain distract us today verse 13 says this verse 13 says this i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one now john starts to address particular people within the church and again if you're taking notes you may underline fathers you may underline young men but be very careful John is absolutely not writing to biological fathers. He's not writing just to young men. What John is addressing here is people who are in different 
paths of their faith, different areas of their relationship with Jesus Christ. John is saying for those men and women who are mature in their faith, who are mature in their faith, they know Jesus. In fact, that's a sign of maturity that you know God's word and you do what it says. For those who are still young in their faith, they have overcome the evil one. We're going to talk about that a lot over the next few minutes. But for now, let's get to some repetition that John has for us because it gives us some key information. The next verse reads this, verse 14. Again, it's going to sound very similar. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. What John is writing about here is he's, he's writing to everyone who is on the path of discipleship. Those who are new believers, those who are growing in their faith, those who have become mature in their faith. John's writing to everyone. And I, I, one of the many reasons I love Sunday mornings is because look at us. Look at the church. We have people here who are in all different places along the path of discipleship. If you're new with us, please make no mistake, we're all not mature in Jesus Christ. We haven't reached the top of the mountain. We are all growing in Christ at some extent. Some of us are very new to the faith. Some of us are growing in our faith. Some of us have become more mature in our faith. But to everyone, John has some key information for us that is incredibly important. And again, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you may want to circle some words like no that appears two times here. How about the word strong? How about the word word of God? How about overcome? Here's what I really want you to know today, and I hope this is so applicable for your life. The evil one, the evil one that plagues your life is conquered by the strength that comes from abiding in the word of God. If you don't take anything else away from this message, please take this with you. There is evil in your life. You have probably felt it. The evil that is in your life is overcome by having the word of God abide in you. That's how you overcome the evil in your life. And how do you have the word of God abide in you? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Study your Bible. Study your Bible. Memorize scripture. That it, it, it is so important that the word of God abides in us. And I want to equip you to be an overcomer of evil. Because it exists in your life. And this is so interesting. There are two activities of Satan, two activities of Satan that the word of God allows us to overcome. The first is Satan's accusations. Satan's accusations. The title Satan literally means accuser. 
So what Satan will do, will do in your life is accuse you of your past sins. Satan loves to dredge up the past. And the book of Revelation outlines this in Revelation chapter 12. For the accuser of our brothers and our sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. We know how the story ends. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Whoever loses their life will gain it for eternity. Satan loves to dredge up our past. And this is not some wild, esoteric concept. Have you ever dwelt on your past before? Anybody? Any, I'm not asking you for a show of hands, but anybody... Dwell on the past. Anybody sit bolt upright in bed sometimes and you can't go back to sleep because you've thought about something dumb you did 20 years ago? Or is it just me? Friends, that's Satan. Our spiritual enemy loves to bring up your past and to help you understand that you should identify yourself by what you have done in your past. But here's the thing, if you are in Jesus Christ, His blood has washed that away. If you are in Christ, you are not defined by your past anymore. Somebody needs to hear this today. Who are you defined by if you are a believer in Jesus? Jesus. Your identity comes from Jesus Christ. Your identity does not come from the past. The identity of the world comes from their past and what they have accomplished. Our identity comes from Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. So you, if you are in Christ, you have already triumphed over Satan's accusations. But that's not the only arrow in his quiver. We also have to deal with Satan's temptations. And we don't have to deal with that, Satan's temptations, because they've already been dealt with. Satan tempts us. Not just to look backwards at our past, but Satan tempts us to commit sins that we haven't committed yet. I'm sure you felt that in your life. Because our spiritual enemy has a list of sins that he knows you are tempted by. And that list of sins is different for you and for you and for you and for you and for me. And the list that Satan has in front of him are things that you will not see coming because he is very good at what he does. And please keep in mind that sin is not just immoral behavior. So it's not just a moral behavior that you need to look out for. Sin is anything that takes us away from God. Sin is anything that takes us away from God. Did you know that Satan doesn't want us to worship Satan? He could care less about that. Satan doesn't want you worshiping God. That's what he cares about. Worship anything. Worship a stone. Worship yourself. Worship your job. Worship your car. Just don't worship God. Satan's goal, your spiritual enemy, is to drive a wedge in between you and your heavenly father. And his job is so easy most of the time because for most of us, it doesn't take much. The question is, what wedge exists today between you and God? 
And an even more important question is how would you even recognize what those wedges are? Do you know how you would recognize what wedges exist between you and God? God's Word. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's called a mirror because it lets us see ourselves. John in his gospel in chapter 8 says, Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? Set you free. Set you free. Old men, young men, women, children, married, unmarried, sing, whatever. You have a spiritual enemy that hates you. There's one way to overcome him, and that's to let the word of God abide in you. It's to let the word of God abide in us. Christians, we are called to a different lifestyle. Let's continue to John's main point in this section, and we're going to start to close up. Verse 15, John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the world. Do not love anything in the world. John's not playing here. He says, anything that has to do with the world, we've got to get rid. There's no wiggle room here. Don't love anything that is of the world. Now, this is something very interesting here. Your radar might be up for a contradiction in the Bible. Because sometimes we think there's contradictions in the Bible. And a skeptic of our faith might read what John writes here and say, well, wait a minute. Are we supposed to not love the world because I thought we were supposed to love the world? Doesn't the most famous scripture that exists, John 3.16, say God so loved the world? Man, I hope we can see the very, very clear difference about what John is writing because it's the same author who wrote both of these things. Does God love the world? God loves the people of the world. God loves the people of the world and we are called to love the people of the world what we are called to emphatically reject is the way of the world does that make sense do you vibe with what john is saying here we are called to reject the way of the world why shouldn't we love the world verse 17 says this the world and its desires pass away the world and its desires pass away, and that just makes sense. If you are taking note in your Bible, you may circle the word world, and you may circle the word desire, and again, link the two, because the two are equated. I love how John uses the word desire here, because desires are fleeting, aren't they? You probably have experience in your life where you know exactly what I'm talking about. There have probably been things that you have desired more than anything. Your desires have consumed you at some point in your life. And then that emotion or that feeling or that thing goes away. You probably know what I'm talking about. But here, I see it in my kids. I see my kid, and I'm, and I'm not joking here. When, 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 our, when our kids desire a toy, right? It consumes them. They want that toy 
more than anything. And then if they are blessed enough to get that toy, what happens? They play for it, with it for a few days and then they put it in the closet and they forget about it. That thing that consumed them, they forget about in a few days. It's not just our children. We are all children. And I suspect that you have an example in your life of something you have desired over. Perhaps something you have lusted over that didn't last. And so you know exactly what John is talking about when he says the world and its desires, they go away. In fact, if you really want to drive this point home in the margin of your Bible, right next to that word desire, you can list every worldly thing that you desire that will one day go away. Just list them. If the margin of your Bible is big enough to contain all of it, the world and its desires go away. When we buy a car and drive it off the lot, it automatically depreciates. A house is called a money pit. Why? Because we have to keep pumping money into it because right now my house is deteriorating as we are sitting here. The world and its desires go away. That's the bad news. Are you ready for the good news? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. I said a little bit ago that we here at Charter Oak Church take God's word very seriously. We take God's word very seriously because we are dealing with life and death. We truly believe that we are immortal and that we will live in eternity in one of two places. Eternally with God or eternally separated from God. That's why we are so passionate about knowing God's word and doing what it says. You and I want to get to a place that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He writes, whether you eat, whether you drink, no matter what you do, do it all for the glory of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I got to a place where whatever we did was for the glory of God? Friends, there is a clear difference between the way of the world and the way of God. And the truth today in the American church is, if you put a Christian and you put a not yet Christian right next to each other and you observe them for a day, a week, a month, or a year, you probably would not be able to tell the difference. That is unacceptable. And I pray that somebody here today has been convicted by what John wrote 2,000 years ago. Maybe somebody today is thinking, yes, that's me. I have been tempted by the world. I've been seduced by the way of the world. And I don't want to live that way any longer. I want to live like a Christian. I want to break free from the way of the world. How can I break free from the way of the world? You may break free from the way of the world by realizing beyond the shadow of the doubt that by God's grace, you are forgiven. 
And if you want to be, you are a child of God. That's how you break free. You can break free from the way of the world and Satan's lies by realizing that when you do fall and when you do sin, if you are sorry for that sin and you repent of it, you have already been forgiven. It happened 2,000 years ago. That's how you break free from the way of the world. You break free from the way of the world by knowing God's word and doing what it says. And if you're not a prayer, and if you're not a Bible reader, you can become those things today. If you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian today. Because salvation isn't in heaven. Salvation is right here, right now. And you may accept Jesus' forgiveness today. Let's pray about it. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we who are your church, we recognize that we have been called to a different way of life than the way our neighbors are living right now. Holy Spirit, would you help us live differently? Would you help us die to our old way of life and help us live into the new? Lord God, for anybody who is not yet a Christian or, or anybody who has been a Christian and who has really fallen away from the faith, maybe even fall away from just the practice of the faith. Father God, right now, would you allow us to walk into your household you've signed the adoption papers Lord God maybe it's the time where we sign our name to that adoption paper too we want to be yours Lord God we want to do what you say we want to know your word Father God would you show us our next right step it's not about who the world says we are it's not about who anybody else says we are. It's about how you say we are. Father God, it's in your precious Son, Jesus' name, that we do pray.